For it's one, two, three strikes, you're out at the old You're out at the old ball game. Welcome to Let's Get Two, the baseball podcast from the fans' perspective. Now here's your host, James Christopher. And welcome to Let's Get Two. I am your host, James Christopher, and I am hanging out with some of my friends. I was thinking about some of the stuff that I missed the most about not being at a baseball game live this year. And look, I know that I'm 44, going on 45, and we'll get there so much closer than maybe I want to. But one of the things I miss the most are mascots. I love a mascot. When I see a mascot, I turn into a three-year-old. And I I sometimes will bring either the grandson or uh, my soon-to-be nephew, Duncan, to meet Swatson or to see the pickle or see Dylan the pickle. And and it's for him, but it's for me. So I love mascots and I have a couple of my favorites out here. First of all, I contend that Orbit is the best mascot in professional baseball. I know that's not the traditional choice. I know the Philly fanatic is, is the one who really got it going. And I was always a big fan of the San Diego chicken, but I think Orbit has really cultivated a personality of being a little sarcastic. Um, My favorite GIF GIF? It should be GIF, but we say GIF. That's the downfall of America right there. But, uh, you know, is him um, on a a winning streak. I share it when the Astros have a winning streak. It's him streaking and he's like running uh, in his underwear across Minute Maid Park. And at one point he stops and celebrates like he avoided security that, you know, not the security is coming after orbit. But but I've got a couple of others. You know, I've got the one from the Harrisburg Senators. I've got um, Mama Pino, which is the Balapino's mother for the San Antonio Flying Chanclas. Um, and then the, the, the Senators and then Gigante and the Wilmington Blue Rocks. And then we have an orbit here from the moon landing, which was something really cool that minor league baseball celebrated last year was uh, the, what is it? The 50th anniversary of landing on the moon. So just really Really cool stuff, really fun, fun stuff. And I I was really thinking about all of this tied into the shirt that I'm wearing. So the shirt that I'm wearing is the minor league baseball logo. And the logo is made up of the name of all current 160 teams. But as soon as I got this and I got another MILB logo tee, I realized that this shirt is an artifact. The writing is on the wall, ironically enough, because it's on the shirt, but it's an artifact. The fact is, is that these 160 teams that are represented on the shirt, not all of them are going to exist in the same form or fashion, and not all of them are going to be the same organization. And the organization MILB with this logo, which I think is vastly superior to the MLB logo, will maybe not be a thing anymore. And that could not be a thing anymore in as soon as 20-something days. So it's really a sad place to be. And, you know, I it just kind of bummed me out when I was thinking about mascots. I was thinking about all the great mascots that are representing teams that have not stopped working, that are still going to hospitals, and they're still going to communities, and they're still trying to do their best to do what they can do to help communities out in the time of COVID. And they could be unceremoniously put out to pasture. So that is, you know, a, a sad realization, a sad fact as I just started down walking down the road of, Oh, I miss seeing orbit at games. Oh, I'm wearing this shirt. I now know what the opening monologue of the episode will be, but we do have a great episode for you. Scott and Andy are here. We're going to do another joint session like we did before the season started just to see where we are with, Less than 20 games left for most of the teams. We're going to see where we are with the rest with the season going forward. 
what surprises us, what doesn't, and what we think is going to happen. Andrew Nelson is here for a Raiders of the Lost Diamond. We're going to talk about a team that used to play in Duluth with one of the best hats you've ever seen. So stay with us. Holler and a Swaller, a chug of Ballpark Brew, presented by The Hitter Sports. And so we are back here on Holler and a Swaller, presented by The Hitter Sports. Make sure you follow The Hitter Sports on Twitter for all your fun and little, uh, he's a little fired up at the Yankees right now, but great follow on Twitter. Uh, definitely check him out. But we are, we're not going to stop this segment. Now, the, the, the idea of the segment was discovering new and local beer that we find at the ballpark. And helping people learn about it because look, when I go to a ballpark, I'm not going to drink. Like I will drink a diet Dr Pepper before I drink a Bud Light. I'm like that. But if there's something new, if there's something local that I've never tried, well, I'm going to give that a shot. Well, and I thought you know just because the 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 baseball season's over, the season for the show isn't, and we're going to continue to find new beer and share it with you, and we're going to try to find it. Obviously, a lot of ATX stuff. Look, Austin's got a great beer community. We're going to do our best to shine our light on some of the the breweries maybe you haven't heard of from Austin, but also from all over the country. We've got a lot of great liquor stores here where I can, I'll be able to find a lot of fun stuff. So we're going to start today with Friends and Allies Brewing in Austin, Texas. They have a sports ball pilsner with You're Killing Me Smalls written on the can. Obviously, it is a uh, it fits right into the the mission of this show to talk about baseball. Now, before we dive into the beer, I do want to point out that we have got one in the Martha's Vineyard Cozy, which uh, those guys said to me, super cool. I'm very excited about it. But now let's give the beer a shot. But before we do, a first ever on Let's Get To. It's our attempt at um, I think the kids call it ASMR. Is that a thing where we? Now, first of all, is there a better sound than that? The only thing better than that is as soon as I open it, I hear the crack of a bat. And then either George Springer colliding with the wall to catch it or George Springer hitting it off the community leader sign at Minute Maid Park. Those are the only things that could be better. But uh, no, we love the can. Sounds great. So we can't wait to give this thing a try. Holler and a swaller, baby. Oh, that's very good. Oh, that's very, very good. It's very light. It's crisp. Um, this is the perfect sitting outside drinking beer. Ah, this is great. This is really, really good. And I do want to point out for the first time in several haulers in the Swaller, uh, I didn't a pour it down the wrong pipe which happened twice. And I didn't accidentally grab the can from the wrong end and have to do with this awkward thing. So the streak is broken. Go, go, Astro. go, go Astros, a focus on H town hardball. And now the big league Jew and I on the majors brought to you by zoomer sport. And we are back here on Let's Get To with, it's now the Three Musketeers. We are back. We have Andy Tom Chesson from Go Go Astros and Scott McIntyre from The Big League Two to talk about a season that while it just began, it's already almost over. It's like the first time I made love. How are you guys doing? Well, hopefully it's not quite that painful, but for Astros fans at least, it absolutely is. Mm, well, you know, if you're a Cardinals fan, there's still a lot to the season still remaining. So <laughs> the Cardinals are still trying to get caught seven, up. They're playing 73 games in the next two weeks. Is that what's happening? Yeah, I think that's it. Yeah, yeah, we're playing three games a day. Yeah, uh, beginning at 6 a.m. So, but we're gonna get there. <laughs> we're gonna get there. Those so four they move you, they move you to the KBO. We took. So here's the, in, in what season do the Cardinals? Uh, so the Cardinals have played 35 games at this point. They played 33 games in total before yesterday, uh, before the uh, double hitter on, on last Tuesday. Um, anyway, when they had played 33 games, 28 of those games, 15 had been at home and 13 had been in Chicago. <laughs> we played the Cubs 10 times all year, and every time was at Wrigley. Throw in three games for the White Sox. We've played – as many games in Chicago as St. Louis. Well, it's like it's like how what? Andy and I are big Oakland Astros fans. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, there you go. 
favorite home venue is um, Oakland Alameda Stadium. Yeah, you got to love it. Andy, overall, though, what have your impressions of the season been? You know, we're recording this a little bit before the episode drops. The Astros and Yankees have about the same record, which I think everybody expected. <laughs> Just didn't expect it that they're. Hey, holding... hey, the Astros are a half game ahead of the Yankees. Thank you very much. You're very well. You're very right. Um, it, it's. This is why we play 162 games. I think everything you're seeing right now is why the game, the, the regular Major League Baseball season is as long as it is. Because over time, um, talent's going to win out. But in a compacted season, something 60 games, or if you're in St. Louis, 32 games, um, you're going to have teams that get hot for short periods of time and other teams who have injuries at the wrong time, and it's going to really skew things. Um, and the Astros have bullpen problems. I'm not making, making any excuses for them. Their offense has been woefully inconsistent. But if they had a 22 and 21 stretch in the middle of a regular season, you might not notice it. You might be a little concerned about it, but it might not be the end of the world like it is right now. If you're the Yankees and you've had all of your starting lineup basically be in time on the IL in the last couple of weeks, and I know our friends sit before the pitch are feeling that pain, or at least one of them is, um, you're going to have a season like this and you've got the Rays who've taken advantage and the A's who've taken advantage because they've been hot and managed to not get injured. Um, that's what we're going to see this year. I, I, my other impression of major league baseball right now is the Dodgers are 900 levels better than every other team in major, league every baseball. other team. Yeah. And we're going to get to play them. And games. we'll still find, and we'll still find a way to not win the world series. Has anyone, in in all seriousness, though, the Yankees are half game ahead of Baltimore for the last playoff spot in the AL. If Baltimore takes them and Yankees don't make the playoffs, ha, do we have forces prepared to uh, put Scotty from before the pitch on suicide watch? I know that Jessica that was legit worried about them when they were playing the Mets. She's like, I don't know, like, do we check in on them? How are they doing? I, I actually wanted I think to bring we should that have- up. I think I think well, we'll go there. Then you said you you said it. Yankees are or half game out. I'm going to chan, channel my inner Tom Chesson. At what point do the does MLB announce we're shutting oh. down for COVID? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> or, I was or, just about to say there is no way or, that they won't just cancel the season immediately. We're expanded to 18 teams. There you go. There you go. No, I mean I think I think so. You know, you're talking about what's happening this season. Uh, you know, we, we touched on it on the last show. Um, I saw that Andy agreed with me uh, in that, or I agreed with him, whichever way, that, that the eight-team playoff in each side will probably be something to stay. So even though there's 162 games, the more you expand the size of the playoffs, the less the length of the season really matters because it's this frenetic race there at the end. And I think we're getting the taste for that. You know, e- even though some of it feels kind of like, ah, eh, we're only playing 60 games this year. I still think that next year and years to come, if they maintain 16 postseason teams, there's going to be this craziness in the last month of the season. We better get used to it in September with a whole lot of teams still uh, still playing for a berth in October. Uh, so I, I, I think this is kind of a sign of, of, of things to come, really, despite that we have the short season. And who would have thought – that Toronto would be over uh, the Yankees in any shortened season, in any September ever in the history of mankind. Even Joe Carter's like, what? So, <laughs> I, I, I'm a big believer in the buff in the Buffalo fighting Biggios. I don't know about you guys, but I'm a, I'm a big believer in them. And, and I don't want to just focus like on the American League, but it, I think the difference is not necessarily the field of participants in a 16-game playoff, but those the seedings of those teams. Because if you look back at our predictions, and I think we're pretty smart people, um, Astros, Twins, and Yankees were, I think, unanimously picked to win the three divisions of the American League, and they're six, seven, and eight right now. Yeah, I think I had Tampa. I may have had Tampa. I know I had Tampa doing. You had Tampa, but you're in the air. You were telling me how great the Angels were going to be, and. (laughs) Even so I thought you said we're not talking about the American League. I thought you said we're not talking about the American League. How am I supposed to know that nobody can pitch in Anaheim? Okay, I how how you. was I supposed to? I know literally that? said they have no pitching. But it's one thing to have no pitching at the major league level. It's another thing to be pitching and people go, "Holy shit, our single A teams out here pitching. What's going on with this?" I mean, no, they literally. I mean, there's no. But there. Well, 
Yeah, but you, it's only because you guys are injured. This is the cream of their crop. Yeah. Uh, there, we, there's I no way a, that Joe Madden looks at the Angels and goes, I wonder what's wrong with our team. You can't throw the freaking ball. That's the problem, Joe. I, it's very simple. When Justin and I were driving back um, from our little our little anniversary thing, she said, uh, man, I hope we don't get swept by a team with no pitching. And I kind of looked at her. She goes, well, that's what Andy said. So <laughs> look at you, Andy. You're an influencer. That's great. Maybe I can have 200 followers on Twitter instead of 100. <laughs> Follow Andy Tom Jessen at Andy Zip. All right, so Scott, what what about this year, though, has has really surprised you? And has it been a fun year for you so far? I think it's been a – well, after the 16-day the break of the Cardinals not playing with me going, oh, gee, the Blues are getting knocked out of the playoffs and there's no baseball. So I'm going to go hang myself from a tree. Uh after that, after we got past that, uh, we have gotten to the point where um, it's a blast. I think it's an absolute blast. The, the Marlins have a ton of good young pitching. Jeter is establishing something down there. It's really fun to watch. It's also fun that there's going to be eight playoff teams in each division. I, can't, I keep coming back to that, but that does make it fun. You know, The more people you can invite to the party, the better, as long as we don't invite the really bad teams because eh, we don't, we don't want to see them. I I'm do also I do want to say on that though, I do think that Manfred actually was smart in that. And and I was a little irritated about it. I was irritated about it mostly because to Andy's point, I really thought the teams that would be hurt by this would have been the Astros and the Yankees and the Dodgers because you allow some upstart in. Now it turns out it's actually allowing, at least with the Yankees and the Astros uh, cases, probably the more talented teams, the ability to override these things because you get into a three, three game series in a neutral site it's really going to be about talent. It's not going to be about like, I think the home field advantage is a big deal this year and it won't be about that. It's two hot pitching performances and the Marlins have two good starters. So that that's the crazy part, right? You could get to that point where you have a, a, a two out of three game series and you, you have two hot starters and suddenly the, the number eight Marlins have just knocked out the number one Dodgers and Dodger fan is lamenting everything in the world and screaming and, and saying, well, we need to make this a double elimination playoff and the Yankees will probably agree. Uh, but so to me, that's exciting. I, I, I love that. I love that the Tigers still have a chance to make the playoffs. I, I, um, I, I think the American league central as a whole has been quite surprising. Cleveland has silently and quietly gone to tie the division lead over there despite off-season losses, despite Mike Clevenger going away, despite the internal team strife. You want to talk about a team, and no pun intended, uh, that they've circled the wagons well. It has been Cleveland. They have done an amazing job to, um, to really say, you know, we're going to close things off. We're going to protect ourselves, and and we're going to get through this. They, they've done a great job. Um, you know, I, I wear the Cardinals gear all the time, but I'm going to say that I think Mike Schilt has done an amazing job uh, juggling things around with the Cardinals to be a game above 500. Yeah. You, you lost, there were 27 games in 23 days. You know, that's, that's incredible. I shared a stat with you from uh, the past weekend too, Jim, that, that we had 20 games taking place in the same day. That had, that was more since like 1974. Yeah. So uh, to me, it's, we're playing a lot of baseball uh, under changing rules and regulations and, and guys like Kevin Cash and Mike Schilt and the like are, um, are, are, are really, you know, getting through it while, um, while not having individual performances that elevate them. Andy, uh, Scott mentioned a couple of young managers that have adapted well to this. The Astros have anything but a young manager. And I don't want to get too much into this, but how do you think Dusty has done in this particular scenario with the hand that he's been dealt? Well, first of all, you could take three of those young managers, add them together, and you still wouldn't have one Dusty Dusty Baker level of experience. Um, Dusty is what we thought he was. Uh, For, I will say, trying to give him the benefit of the doubt, I think he's been dealt a crappy hand because – the team he thought he had is not the team he has, and that's just that's just what this year is. Um, but I think an effective manager doesn't do what he's doing to the bullpen, doesn't let guys go nine days without pitching and let some other guys pitch nine days in a row. Um, 
regardless of effectiveness, and that's been one of Dusty's issues, is that he has always been bad at managing bullpens. He's had much better bullpens, and so it's hidden some of that, but he is notorious for riding the hot hand on a young arm until it doesn't give you anything anymore, um, and using guys in really weird situations, and we've seen that all season long. Um, the offense has come and gone for the Astros, and I think that's a lot about the health, the relative health of your main players. But our, our record is what it is in spite of Dusty, not because of Dusty. So, you know, the, I would be, The days of playing a hunch, the days of playing a hunch are, are gone, right, right, Andy? They, I mean, you can't do that nowadays. I, I don't want to say that's true because I think we had a manager and – Every manager that we have for the next decade is going to pale in comparison to the one who won the World Series for us. So A.J. Hinch was very, very, very good, and he will be very good in New York next year or wherever he ends up landing. Once As he writes Springer's name in the leadoff spot. Yeah, it's going to be super difficult to watch that. Um, but Dusty isn't that guy. But Hinch played hunches all the time. He just had reasons for playing those hunches. Dusty right. plays hunches because I had eggs this morning and your last name has a G in it. So you're going to had eggs today. this morning. And that's what Hank Aaron said I should do, um, which Hank Aaron comes up more. You, by the way, I went to a club with Hank Aaron once. Let me tell you about that. Scott, did you have something you wanted that's to add the, to that? That's really the equivalent of saying, well, back in my day, um, you know, I, I, I think that if you're playing, a, you know, to the to the point, and that's what I was trying to say. Andy's right. If you're playing a hunch because you have data behind it, or because sure. you have a grand scheme, that's one thing. I I will admit I have not watched that many Astros games. Uh, the two or three that I've watched have literally I've turned my hat sideways and been like WTF, man. <laughs> what is going on here? Yeah. Um, you know, the the other day I even texted you guys when when I'm watching a pitcher that had given up five runs through seven innings, be called back out for the eighth inning. And I'm going, what? what? Right. And trying to save the bullpen, yet he couldn't get an out in that inning. So instead he made the game worse. And, 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 it, and it was a tight game going into that. I, people that have watched, I think this is why Washington fans got nuts over dealing with Dusty. Like he's a good guy. We like the guy. We understand why he's there. But, you know, you get in your own way, Dusty. Get out of your way. I do think there's a chance he retires after this season. He looks like this is no fun. And I do feel like, um, and I'll get, I'll get one more thought from Andy on this, but I think, I think the frustrating thing for me is if the bullpen really is young and you really don't know who they are. And I believe all of those things are true despite what that douche Dan Clark sports says anyway, but the fact is um, you got to throw them then. And I think giving a rookie reliever, you know, I, I, every time he plays the matchup, I think about Billy Bean as Brad Pitt as Billy Bean. I don't care about righty-lefty. I don't care about mm-hmm. righty-lefty. Um, give these guys clean innings and let them pitch until they can't pitch anymore and figure out what they can do. But just trying to play matchup with guys when nowadays most guys have good reverse splits anyway. I don't know, Andy, final thought on that. Um, it's just – it's frustrating. Um, I would you like to have Brad Peacock and Will Harris and a healthy Joe Smith or a non-opted out Joe Smith and Devo from pre-2018? Yes, that would be great. Um, I, I think the guys in the bullpen, for the most part, have done as well as they can. I think one of the keys that Dusty refuses to look at is something you just said, putting them in positions to succeed, which I think is one of the things Hinch was really, really good at. You start off a young guy with a clean inning. You give a guy experience when there is a a lead, and you test them going from that point. You don't throw them into the fire of, hey, bases loaded, nobody out. Let's call you up from Fayetteville and see what you can do today, right now. Go. Warmed up? Don't care. Yeah. I didn't warm up in 1957 when I faced blah, 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 blah. <laughs> well, I do think that's a good point, though. I think last night Chase DeYoung actually had a really good start, and he made it through the lineup, I think, twice. Um, you're playing a seven-inning doubleheader. You're planning on a bingo bullpen game anyway. Pat him on the butt and say, you went from Constellation Field to this, and you right. shut out that team. Move on. Um, so a couple of things as we faced this week coming up, and I kind of wanted your thoughts. And, Scott, we'll go to you first, but I do want to hear from Andy on this. You know, we had Darian Sills-Evans on last week talking about Tom Seaver. And one of the uh, one of the players he faced the most 
was Lou Brock. Uh, Lou Brock, I'm, I'm only familiar with, obviously, retrospectively, because he was one of Biggio's favorite players. And so that made me go look him up. Uh, tell me a little bit about what losing Mel, uh, Lou Brock means to the St. Louis Cardinal community. Lou Brock was, um, first of all, he's amazing as, an, as a player, but as a former player, I think he was even more amazing. His um, involvement around the clubhouse, his involvement with the team, even after losing a leg uh, to diabetes a few years ago, he would still make appearances with the team. That's a, it's, a, it's a huge loss, you know. To, to say you've lost an 81-year-old person and, and that's a loss, that's it has, it's not like losing someone at a, at a very young age yet. Yeah, it still is. It's just a leadership. This is a guy who would come into the clubhouse for the Cardinals or show up at spring training and would know people by name. Uh, you know, Cardinals announcer, Brad Thompson has even said, you know, he walked up and put his hand on his back and go, Hey, Mr. Thompson, how you doing? And Brad Thompson was like, Oh my God, he knows my name. Well, and then realized later, well, I have my name on the back of my Jersey. So, um, <laughs> but still, but Lou had a way yeah. of doing that with, with people that, that I think was amazing. We, we have to look back at Lou as a player as well. Uh, Lou as a player um, was one of four people to ever put a ball in the center field bleachers at the old polo grounds. Now, okay, well, what does that mean? It's 450 feet just to the fence yeah. at the old polo grounds. When you see Willie Mays making the catch behind his back, he's 444 feet away yeah. from home plate, which makes that catch all the more interesting. Uh, but only four people ever put a ball there, Lou Brock was also one of the the first players that went the college route. He was from uh, he was born in El Dorado, Arkansas, Arkansas. Uh, he went to Southern University and then found his way up through the um, up through the ranks of the Cubs organization. And when he was traded in '65 for Ernie Broglio, who had been Cy Young candidate the year before, uh, that trade the Cardinals were ripped throughout newspapers for that trade because you made such a stupid trade. Well, Broglio retired a couple of years later and Lou Brock went on to steal 938 bases. Revolutionizing the way that the the base was stolen. Mari Wills would take the long lead. Lou Brock didn't. He took a short lead and read pitchers. He had an eight millimeter camera in the dugout studying pitchers long before anybody else did. Brilliant guy. What? Were there trash cans? Were there trash cans saying "Go Lugo"? Um, I did well, you see, uh, can't watch it live on eight millimeter, guys. You can't watch that. Li- I mean, hey, we are he just t- triggered you know, he's by watching the word. It later. We're you triggered. said cameras. You said cameras and dugout. We can't do that we, in 2020. We're triggered. Um, well, no, but you could with an eight millimeter. You can still use an eight millimeter in the dugout. Probably like, it's what fine. The hell is that Lou, thing? They uh, would bang on the trash can to tell <laughs> Lou when to take off running. That's, no, um, I did before I get. To, I want to get Andy's thoughts on Lou before we move to the next topic. But one of the things that um, that I thought was I found myself watching um, the Mets game the other day, and Keith Hernandez, who body shiver, but. Uh, was showing that Lou Brock photobombed his very first uh, Topps photo shoot for his very first baseball card. And Topps sent the photo to the Mets thing, and they put it up, and it was hilarious. Uh, Andy, any thoughts on losing either Lou Brock or Tom Seaver? Um, you know, for Lou Brock, and this is, again, everything through the scope of being growing up an Astros fan, uh, the Cardinals were the organization – when you're a Houston Astro and playing in the Astrodome that you want to be, you want to have guys with blazing speed that steal a lot of bases that are super great defensively, um, that cover huge amounts of ground, um, that do backflips, you know, coming on to the opening day of shortstop Ozzie Smith. And I got to see um, Mr. Brock probably the last four years of his career, because I think he retired in 79. Um, come to the Astrodome and it's just that's what you wanted baseball to be when you're a little kid because he looked he was a guy not dissimilar to a lot of Cardinals players from that era that looked like they are having fun they're playing the game the right way and it's um you had Wills and that kind of led to Ozzie Smith which kind of led to Willis McGee um there were just some great great players that embodied what you wanted baseball to be before it became let's see how far I can hit a home run I do think it's interesting, uh, the Astros-Cardinal connection, because Houston had been a farm club for the Cardinals for so long that I do think there was a certain affinity, you know, the buffs and all that stuff. Um, next topic, um, and we'll, we'll tear through these last two quickly, but there's been a, a push and movement to essentially honor Roberto Clemente the same way they honor Jackie Robinson, having players. Where I, I think um, this week 
all the Astros associated with Puerto Rico, the Puerto Rican Astros players all wore 21. I'm in favor of that. I don't know where you guys fall on, on, I mean, it seems like you can't, you can't not honor too many people like that. I think. Scott. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, Clemente is, I think, and there's a reason that the humanitarian of the year award is named after him. Um, there's a reason that uh, so many players look up for him look up to him uh, even though he's somebody who hasn't been in baseball since 1972 when he tragically died in the offseason, by the way, providing humanitarian aid after, I think, a hurricane. Yeah. Um, he's just – he's one of the pillars. If you were building a true Mount Rushmore of, uh, of what baseball has been, especially since 1900, I think he's somebody you have to talk about being up there. And I don't think he gets near the credit he deserves for being a player – being the player that he was. He's a 15-time All-Star. Um, he's a guy that uh, counting stats, longevity stats. I mean, he had everything you'd want to be. Uh, and on top of being a great guy, he was a Marine for God's sake, <laughs> or at least Marine reserve. Right. Uh, I think the most interesting thing about him is he was a Dodgers uh, farmhand in Montreal and the Dodgers uh, spent a long amount of time, a, a good part of a season trying to hide him from the rest of baseball because of the way the, um, uh, the rules worked at that point. He was an unprotected player in the oh. system. And so they would have him warm up. They would have him take batting practice with the pitchers. So scouts from other teams wouldn't see him. I love that. Scott, any and, thoughts on Roberto Clemente? Uh, with Yadier Molina behind the plate in St. Louis, who is a uh, pillar of the, of the, I would think of the Puerto Rican community and, and a strong, a proud representative of his Puerto Rican roots. Uh, absolutely. Uh, there is no reason in the world to not put Clemente's number right there with Jackie Robinson. I, I think, uh, you know, for, for similar yet different reasons, I, I think that what Clemente brought to the game was bigger than the game itself. Yeah. And what he brought to the Caribbean, we've seen a lot of, um, we've seen, we've, we've reaped what he sowed. I, I think it's one of the things I love about baseball is Roberto Clemente is one of my favorite players of all time. And I was, I was not born before he died. Like, but yet yeah. that's how the game I think passes its legacy on. Uh, speaking of legacy, I feel like the last time baseball had a truly high moment was in the days and games after nine 11. Surprisingly enough, you guys, we are at um, almost 20 years since that event. What do you think baseball means to the country when it comes to events like that? I've kind of ta- I've told my 9/11 story already on the show, but I wanted you guys to share some thoughts just just on that. I think in uh, 2001, uh, that might have been the closest I've ever gotten to rooting for the Yankees in anything. Um, and no offense, Scotty, but um, it's it, that was baseball was a sign that we could get back to normal and have things to celebrate. And people who normally would not be paying attention to baseball really wanted baseball to happen, really emotionally involved when those first pit, first games were played in Yankee Stadium and in Shea Stadium at that point. It was Shea. Um, after 9-11. Um, and it's something that I think baseball at its best has, a, has the power to unify um, more so than the NFL, more so than the NBA, more so than the NHL because it is a game that is timeless. It is not a game that is about attacking. It is still the game where the defense holds the ball and there's a lot of strategy and talking and everything we love about baseball. That's what makes it easy to bring people together. Football's divisive. You don't get together and love somebody else who roots for a different football team. You can admire and love fans from another baseball team, I think, a lot easier. Um, the sad part of that is I don't know – in 2020 if that's still true um and i think we talked about this on the show before baseball had a big opportunity to be kind of that unifying force this summer and instead pissed it away by having a labor dispute a mini labor dispute prior to bequeathing us 60 games um and the 60 games are fun and some people are really into it and it's great that they expanded the playoffs for some people it's not so great that they put a runner on second but i mean they've tried to make things work but i think they've cashed in whatever cachet they've had and it's just not enough anymore um and and i don't know that 
this version of Major League Baseball is ever going to be able to get back to that. And I hope I'm wrong, but that's kind of where I am on September 11th, 2020. Scott? You know, it's almost like the the last season of, of Brockmeyer was was like really seeing into the future for, for how it was going to become a baseball. No, I think I think from nine eleven, um, it did show that there's a unifying event, and I do believe that that that's really what it takes. It in times of uh, America's been disjointed before, and it takes tragic events like that um, where we have a enemy that we can point at that that unifies us. So I'm, I haven't given up hope in that regard. Uh, I think baseball was. Definitely a unifying force at the time. Um, the, the Subway Series, the teams themselves were good at the time as well. So that it, everybody kind of came around, came around New York. Um, for me, it was a different experience because I was I was overseas looking in. So I kind of had I, I was an insider who was outside looking in. You know what I mean? It, it, it was a very uh, different experience for me for sure. I, I think that that we. Um, we we have to pay. What am I trying to say? We have to to to, to pay homage uh, to what happened then. Baseball has a a place to be. They have an opportunity. Baseball has an opportunity to capitalize on on remembering itself and how it treated things correctly on right. 9/11. And we can do that again. And I and I really hope that uh, that Rob Manfred and company do that. And, and, and on a lighter note, to go back to something we just talked about a moment ago, um, if you guys are tired of Dusty Baker, Art Howe recovered from COVID, and he's available. So just throwing it out there. I'd just take him in a heartbeat over Dusty Baker. Thing I wanted to add. All right, guys, everybody have a great rest of your day, and may the playoff odds be forever in your favor. Ballpark and Chill, the best in binge-worthy baseball podcasts. So we're, we're joined again on our Ballpark and Chill segment, our dedication to other baseball shows. It's appropriate, Rob. We've got thunder coming in. What better time to sit down and and, and listen to both of your shows? But uh, Rob Fontenot of the Astros Baseball Podcast and of Sunday Strohs. How's it going, man? Pretty good. Just got home. I had to take the day off to take the wife to the doctor. Uh, but, you know, she's resting up. I'm in here talking to you about baseball. You know, life could be better, but this is pretty good. This is pretty good. It's, it's you know, it's 2020, but at least we had some baseball to talk about uh, as weird as it's been. Tell me a little bit about you, though, your history with the game. How long have you been an Astros fan and how long have you been doing the show? Well, I've liked baseball my whole life. Uh, I grew up in Oklahoma, actually, so I was a Braves fan because just because they were always on TV. And, uh, I moved to Texas in 89. Okay. And then I was living in Seguin, which is two hours away from Houston. And I actually went to the game to see the Cubs. And I think this was in 96, maybe 97, but I enjoyed the game so much that I went back. Uh And then by the second or third game, I was an Astros fan. So I've been a fan ever since. And then, uh, the podcast, the way that happened was uh, these guys at work were talking about it. Like, hey, let's start a podcast. They weren't talking to me about it, but they were talking. Right. And I just happened to see an app to make a podcast. And so I, I just said, hey, I'm going to try this out. And then when I get to work, I'll let them know, you know, how to do it or see what it's about. Just tell them about the app. And so while I was sitting there, okay, well, what am I going to talk about? I, you know, I have no idea what to talk about. And so I was like, okay, well, what do I love? What am I passionate about? And it was the Astros. And so, you know, I was going to do like the entire sports or the entire baseball, but I just wanted to narrow it down to the Astros. So I got started like two and a half years ago, I guess maybe a little bit more now. It was uh, February before the 2018 season. Okay. And uh, yeah, it's just, starts out like five people listening to it and two and a half years later i'm still here luckily nothing eventful has happened since the 2017 world series that maybe have made your show more interesting no oh man you know i actually do want to jump to that real quick because so you know our show is very different than yours which is why i think it's so cool that we can all have this medium ours is much more minor league focused and sort of culture of the game focused but i end up being the guy that gets invited 
onto shows primarily in New York to explain how you can still be an Astros fan after they committed what Twitter tells me is the greatest sin in the history of humanity. Um, how can you still be an Astros fan after they committed the greatest sin in the history of humanity? Tongue planted firmly in cheek, of course. Well, my answer to that, if anyone asks me, is what do you expect me to do? Just stop liking them just because they cheated? Like, who am I supposed to? Am I supposed to be a Rangers fan? Am I supposed to just get MLB package and like somebody else? I guess one option could be the Padres because they're the, you know, the San Antonio missions are the triple uh, A team for them. But I mean, how do you stop liking them? If, if your kids do something wrong, you know, you don't stop loving them, right? I think the example uh, that I made when, when asked about it, and, and actually it's very similar to yours because I'm a military veteran. So I said, listen, and I'm also Catholic, my church, my country, my wife and my kids have all disappointed me. It doesn't mean I give up on them. I'm not giving up on these guys either. It's about the front of the Jersey. And we could also dive into, you know, things that Tony Adams has brought to light about how effective it all was anyway. But let's be honest, they want us to commit, you know, um, talk to me a little bit about your show, particularly um, the Astros baseball podcast. How's it different? How does it stand out from other, other content out there? Well, I'm not really sure how it stands out, but what it is, it's just me and I'm a fan. I'm not affiliated with a newspaper, right. I'm not affiliated with a website. It's just a fan in this room right here where I'm at, uh, making a podcast about a team that he loves and I'm passionate about it and I'm not political, meaning if, you know, I'm not, I don't have to say the right things. I mean... Yeah. I can get into the cheating scandal and I will say things other Astro fans won't say because I can own up to what they did, but it, it doesn't make me not love them. Like, you know, we just talked about, Yeah, but that's, you know, it's just, I love them. I'm passionate and uh, I'm just a, you know, a podcaster for the people. Whenever COVID came, I got all the guests I could get on, you know, to give, give them something to listen to. Uh, I Google baseball books in 2020 and I got like three people on that wrote baseball books. I got, uh, Greg Lucas, Bill Brown on here. Nice. Uh, so, you know, I just, whatever I can do, I've had, I've had a couple of Astros players on. I, I actually, when I wasn't very good at it, I got a, uh, press pass to the missions game when round rock was here. And I got to sit in the dugout and talk to Kyle Tucker, uh, Miles Straw, Stubbs, and yeah. uh, Forrest Whitley. But, I mean, they're horrible interviews. I was just fanboying it, you know. Right. But I think that that, in, but I think that comes through in a good way, though. I do think that's maybe what I like about it. It isn't um, – you're not trying – you're not trying to be something that you're not in the sense that I don't feel like I'm watching someone try to be ESPN. Like the fact that you love this team warts and all comes through. And I think that's really hard to do in this medium. And I think it's really refreshing. Yeah. I don't, I don't sit here and, you know, try to be a sportscaster. I'm just a fan yeah. talking into a microphone and uh, you know, like when I, when I first started, I'm pretty much, just telling you the result of the game and my thoughts of the game, give you the pitching matchups for the next series. And for a while I was thinking, why would anybody want to hear this? I mean, they could just, you know, they watch the games, they can look it up on the computer. Right. But I got a lot of feedback. People like it. They're like, Hey, I was out of town and I, I tune in on Sunday to your show and I catch up on everything that happened on the weekend series. So it just works yeah. for me. Well, speaking of Sundays, you also partner for another show uh, with friend of ours that's been on our show a bunch. Uh, he goes by Stevie Proud on Twitter. Shout out to one of our favorite Astros UK fans. How did that show come about? He was a guest on my show on a Sunday. And we enjoyed it. We had fun together. And then I said, hey, come back next Sunday. You know, Because it's a lot funner to talk to somebody than it is to be by yourself. Yeah. And it also makes the podcast a lot longer because, you know, you get into conversations with a fan. And so anyway, he came back the second time. And when I introduced him, I said, hey, this is Sunday Strohs. 
because we did it two Sundays in a row. And I told him, hey, just keep coming back. You know, this is fun. But he said, I want to start my own. Okay. So let's let's do our own together. So we said, oh, I said, okay, let's do it. So we came up with the logo. We made a, a promo video. I mean, we're putting all the effort into this Sunday Stros. Way more effort than I put into Astros baseball. Way more. Right. <laughs> right. Um, I guess let's turn to the team then. You know, we're going to hot link all the shows so everybody can find it. Um, been a very weird season. We actually had uh, in the segment before this, our kind of uh, our Astros centered guy on our Go Go Astros segment, give his thoughts. Overall, Rob, what are your thoughts on the job Dusty Baker has done so far this hmm. year? Um, it, it seems like it just seems like he makes mistakes, like like not taking pitchers out. I know he has a uh, like a reputation for leaving me, leaving them out there too long. Like an example would be Framber Valdez the other day. Mm-hmm. He had already thrown a hundred pitches, that- but he threw them out there for the eighth inning. He gave up like three hits, and he took them out. He should have just taken them out. Even my wife knew. She's like, why is he going back in? He's already thrown 100 pitches. Right. And I know it was to protect the bullpen. And, uh, you know, sometimes he puts someone in there and you're kind of thinking, I guess he doesn't want to win this. And then sometimes with the batting order, some people don't understand why people like Correa, when they get hot, he doesn't move them up. Yeah. It doesn't make sense. And uh, I don't know, but I think he's doing the best he can with this bullpen. It's a very weird season, too. Um, I guess as we close out, I mean, what, what do you forecast? I mean, do you feel like this is the team prime to when the playoffs do start? And I think the playoffs actually are going to be pretty advantageous to the Astros. I think basically playing in a bubble and not playing just a one-game se- one like one wild card, but a three-game series might actually help them. What do you feel like the, the, the forecast for the Astros making the playoffs looks like when they get in? Well, a few days ago, it looked like a cakewalk that we're, that we're going to be the number two seed in the West and yeah. possibly, possibly the number one seed because when, when Oakland came to Houston, we put it on them. Yeah. But we can't win on the road, which is just weird because usually we're very good on the road. So it, this, this year is very different in that way. Uh, but if Verlander came back, I know Lance McCullers Jr. I don't have any faith in him at all, but he's no. injured. He's got the neck issue. Uh, if Verlander comes back, you know, I, I know Bregman came back and got injuries. If we're healthy, we can compete with anybody. Raiders of the Lost Diamond, a look into baseball's past. Today, we're talking about the Duluth Superior Dukes. Um, they're a, a, a team <laughs> that is... <laughs> I put it all together from the hat, yeah. My hat, yes. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> they're a team that played in different iterations in Duluth, Minnesota for, uh, for many years. Um, Duluth is a, a picturesque town. It's certainly known for tourism nowadays, but it was traditionally a shipping and... Uh, iron ore town back in the day, iron okay. ore lumber shipped out of there still does to a certain extent, but not as much as it used to. And uh, superior is right across the river from Duluth in Wisconsin. So they're, they're known as the twin ports collectively. Um, Everything's a twin with you people up there. Yeah. <laughs> we just, we just like to get together, man. I guess so. I guess so. <laughs> um, so Duluth uh, first had its uh, professional baseball team or had its first professional baseball team way back in 1886 when the Duluth Jayhawks played there as part of the Northwest League. Um, they only played as the Jayhawks for one season and only in the Northwestern League for two seasons. And they had another distinctive name during the second season. They were the Freezers because it is fairly frigid up in Duluth. 
even in the summer, it's it's a pretty mild climate. It's often in the 60s. Uh, you know, pretty nice day up up there is in the, in the 70s. I mean, it gets hot sometimes too, but uh, it, it's known um, for being a little cool, for being kind of damp, lots of fog and rain and stuff because they're right there on the lake. Um, then they went without a team for a few years in 1891. The St. Paul Apostles of the Western Association uh, moved up to Duluth halfway through the season and became the Duluth Whalebacks, which is another great name. It and it is. Comes, it comes from a distinctive type of freighter that was popular, popularly used on the Great Lakes. And uh, there is currently the world's only remaining whaleback freighter is a museum ship in Superior, Wisconsin. It's called the SS Meteor. Okay. Uh, so you can go visit that if you ever find yourself in, in the Duluth Superior area. Um, in 1903, Duluth started its long association with the many iterations of the Northern League when the Cardinals came to town as part of the Class D uh, Northern League. And uh, they would field teams from, for the Northern League off and on up until 1970. Under various names, uh, a lot of their history, they were the White Sox. But for a lot of the rest of it, they were the Dukes. Uh, they started playing as the Dukes in 1934. Um, or no, sorry, 1935. And um, played at Athletic Park, which they had opened back in 1903, until Wade Stadium was built in 1941. Uh, Wade Stadium has an interesting story of how it was built. It was a works project administration um, okay. yeah. project. And it was spawned by another WPA project in Duluth where they were tearing up an old cobblestone street and repaving it. And they used all the paving stones for uh, all the uh, bricks from the street to make the, uh, the main facade for oh, Wade Stadium. Oh, that's cool. So it's got this classic brick uh, look to it. And it's still there today. We'll get to get to more of that later. Um, <clears throat> unfortunately, uh, the early Dukes weren't really known for much good other than their, their interesting ballpark story. Uh, the first iteration of the Dukes is most famous for the second worst bus crash in minor league history. <laughs> in, uh, in 1948, they, they, uh, their team bus hit a, an oncoming truck head-on just outside of St. Paul, and uh, four members of the team and the bus driver died, and 13 other members were injured. Wow. And so, they, yeah, they had to um, – they actually did complete their season. They, they had um, players shipped in from other minor league uh, teams from the affiliate that they, uh, they played for, and um, they were a Cardinals affiliate at the time, and from some other teams in the league. Uh, but yeah, it was a crazy tragedy. It was unfortunately what they were most known for. Um, and then uh, later on, their second iteration, which was from the, the late 50s until, the, uh, until 1970, um, during the 60s, they were a Tigers affiliate. And they had a few notable Tigers players uh, come through. Don Mincher, Willie Horton, oh. and uh, yeah. Denny McLean and Mickey Stanley, uh, or Mickey Stanley, all played for them. Sorry, John Mincher was a White Sox great that also played for them. Also, Joe, Joe Horner. So th those two were in the late fifties. The other guys were in the early sixties and made up a, a pretty solid core of the uh, of the Tigers in the seventies. Saw some uh, some success with them. Um, so small town. Small city Duluth got to see some some up and coming. Stars. Yeah, that's the best part of all this thing that Manfred's trying to, as I told Jessica Astor this week, shoot in the face. But anyway, right? Yeah, that's uh, that's not for this segment. <laughs> yeah. So unfortunately, the 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 old Northern League folded in 1970, and uh, the original Duke, Duluth Superior Dukes went away also. Um, the one last thing I wanted to mention is how they went from the Duluth Dukes to the Duluth Superior Dukes in okay. 1950. In uh, 19, sorry, 1956, they merged with their cross 
River Rivals, the Superior Blues, and that's how they became the Duluth Superior Dukes. Uh, they have that great cross-border rivalry going, but unfortunately, they're they're just not very big cities, and it was difficult to to support two affiliated ball clubs that close together. Um, so they went away in 1970, and unfortunately, Duluth was without um, professional or, or organized baseball for quite some time. But in 1993, the new Northern League an independent circuit brought baseball back to Duluth. Uh, they came back to old Wade stadium, which had been scouted out by the league's organizer, um, miles Wolf, who had, uh, had owned the, um, Durham bulls, oh. but, uh, in a, a, uh, in a story kind of reminiscent of current times, got tired of MLB's BS and, and sold out and decided to start up an independent circuit to do things the way he wanted to do things. Right. Um, so he, he came up to Duluth and saw Wade stadium and was just taken in by the old 1940s charm of the place. It was really run down. Um, uh, the bleacher floors were collapsing. The uh, outfield lights didn't work, but they got it renovated with in a couple of years and ready to, uh, to play in 1993. There was a, a big, local movement behind it. It's called Save the Wade. And, uh, and there was a whole lot of energy and excitement behind, uh, behind bringing baseball back to Duluth, which is always a great thing to hear. Yeah, absolutely. So the Dukes opened in 1993 to, to, uh, to good, good turnout, but unfortunately not a whole lot else good. <laughs> they, they were kind of a hapless team. Right. Uh, didn't, they were the, finished at the bottom of their circuit. Uh, they, uh, didn't, uh, didn't sell very much, uh, advertising. There was a, a screw up with some of their promotions and they had to take down a bunch of their advertising signs. Um, their, their original mascot, Earl, the Duke, who was a, uh, a baseball headed guy with a, a top hat and a monocle. <laughs> reminiscent of their logo yeah, uh, was top heavy and unwieldy and uh, just didn't bring any energy to the, into the park and scared kids and fell over on people and stuff. I mean, it was just really a, a terrible scene. <clears throat> and, and their original owner sold out after one season to go out to California to uh, try to start up an independent circuit out there. And a General Mills vice president uh, picked up the team in, uh, in 1994, uh, tried to turn things around. Uh, unfortunately, there was a lot more issues in 1994. <laughs> um, they just didn't do terribly well. Uh, in 1996, the team uh, broke even for the first time, uh, record-wise, had a, had a 500 record. And, uh, and then in... Um, in 1997, they had probably their most notable year. Okay. Um, and it's notable for two reasons. One is that the Dukes actually won a championship. Uh, they won a championship with an overall losing record. <laughs> of course. Which, which could happen this year in Major League Baseball. So that's It fun. absolutely could. But uh, the Northern League at that time had a split season. So even okay. though the Dukes even though the Dukes finished with a 39 and 44 record, they did win the second half um, in their division. So they were able to go to the playoffs and, and won, um, won their first title in 1997. They also had a midseason transfer from the St. Paul Saints named Isla Borders. Now Isla Borders was um, one of the first women to, to uh, play in men's professional baseball. Um, as I believe the first woman to play in men's professional baseball post integration. Okay. And uh, she didn't put up amazing stats, but contributed to their championship run. Uh, she ended up the season um, played in eight games with a 756 ERA, six strikeouts and five walks. So not amazing, but you know, it's, um, she made a contribution. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, Isla would continue to play with the team for a couple more years. Uh, in 1998, she would record her first and only win, setting another milestone, became, becoming the first woman to uh, 
to be a starting pitcher in a men's professional baseball, uh, a men's professional baseball team or league and, um, record and to record a win also. Uh, she finished the season with a one and four record. She played in eight games, or not eight games, 14 games, eight of which she started. She finished four. So she kind of split her time between starting and, uh, and the bullpen. Uh, had a one for one strikeout to walk ratio. So argue, arguably an improvement there. Um, and stayed with the team until uh, the year 2000 when she was traded to the um, Madison Black Wolf. Uh, her playing time just didn't hold up and she'd requested to be transferred and, uh, and Madison was, uh, was happy to, to bring her on. Uh, they were run by a, uh, a, a woman executive also. So, um, she continued to play in the Northern league for a few years. Also so on that night, teaches would be proud. I love it. Yeah. Um, she, she really, um, put up with a lot of adversity, um, had to change in like improvised changing rooms and hallways and stuff. Yeah. Um, but really went out there and, and put in a, a respectable, um, a respectable record for somebody who hadn't gotten to play uh, outside of college really. So when you put it in that perspective, you know, she didn't have organized uh, minor league experience like a lot of the people playing in that league did or even major league experience um it was it was pretty impressive uh, also in 1998 the um the duke's offense was led by one ozzy canseco jose canseco's identical twin brother <laughs> who posted a uh, 292 batting average and 10 home runs not bad yeah no needles <laughs> probably not. We uh, probably not. who knows? Uh, probably can't afford those so much. Being a uh, an independent ball player in, in the Lewis challenge, ball. yeah. Um, and and the Dukes would win their second championship in the year two thousand. Uh, this time with a five hundred record, they went forty three and forty three. Um, st- they're uh, still they're uh, tying their best mark. Really, they never had a winning season. Wow. Okay. They did win, um, win second halves multiple times, but never had a winning season. That is how it works. Indie ball. So, I mean, are they still around? How did they end up? uh, How did we end up losing the Dukes? So unfortunately um, the Dukes or the Dukes, the Duluth Dukes (laughs) were a victim of circumstance to a large extent. Um, The teams that were close to them moved away and it just made, made it, so they weren't feasible anymore. In, uh, in 1999, the, uh, the Thunder Bay Whiskey Jacks, who were up, up the North shore of Lake Superior from them in Canada, uh, moved down to Illinois and became the Schaumburg Flyers. And in, um, 2001, Madison Black Wolf moved down to Lincoln, Nebraska to become the Salt Dogs, which is a team that still exists down there. Right. So unfortunately, two of the closest teams to Duluth were gone. Uh, it was just really hard to make them work economically anymore. And in 2003, the Dukes moved down to Kansas City to become the Kansas City T-Bones, which is still exists now. To close it out, the right-hander from Houston, Texas, James Christopher. So that does wrap us up. Thanks to everybody for joining. You know, September 11th is today, and it is, you know, one of the most important days in American history. It is a day that shaped my life. My September 11th story is not as as harrowing or tragic as my high school friend, uh, Bill Hackett, who was in one of the towers and, and thankfully was late to work, like seriously late to work. But I was an E6 at the time, stationed in Germany, but at school in Oklahoma. And my wife was at our home in Germany. And when the planes hit, lots of things happened for us. We weren't able to get hold of each other, which was, of course, a big deal and very scary. But we were also, being where I was, and hanging out with my friends, some of whom were, were green berets, 
gone the next day and our training got sped up and we were getting ready to go to war. Now, I, what I didn't realize then was my life would be effectively changed, but I just want to hope that from a baseball perspective, the stories of, of the Mets and Yankees playing and wearing, you know, FDNY and NYPD hats and, and all of that stuff. And then the Yankees making the world series, George Bush, George W. Bush throwing out the first pitch, the story of Jeter telling him not to balance it. All those things shows you what baseball means and, and we need to get back there. But what I hope from anything is we remember what life was like on 9-12. And we remember what life was like when for a minute we were all Americans again and we put petty disagreements aside and we really were – we're trying to be unified and hopefully we can get back there again because we need to. I still believe that America is the best example of a country on the face of the earth. And for everybody who wants to say it's not, look at the people that are literally dying trying to get here. It matters. But we have to be our best selves. We have to put in the work. We have to remember again what it was like on September the 12th when we were one country and hopefully we'll get back there again. So I hope everybody takes a second to keep the people who who died in the in, in the crashes, who died in the towers, who died at the Pentagon, who died in the field in Pennsylvania in your hearts, in your thoughts and in your prayers. Keep our brothers and sisters who raised a hand and said, "We're not going to let that happen again on American soil" and willingly went out to fight to stop that from happening again. Keep them in your thoughts and prayers because they're still fighting that fight. We will be back next week with some more Let's Get To. I hope everybody has a safe weekend. Stay sane. Try your best to just keep realizing that this too shall pass. One more day into this 2020 means we're one day closer to getting out of it. So again, stay safe, stay sane, and let's get to.